welcome back to the Film Hole Podcast. I'm Trevor. I am Raul. I'm a filmmaker. And I'm a scientist. Every week we watch a movie. And we get together and talk about it. And this week we watched... Amelie. Amelie. I think that's how you say it. Amelie. It's a, it's a French movie. Uh, directed by... Can you say the guy's name? No. Is it Jean? Is Jean? Jean-Pierre... Uh, Jean-Pierre... Uh, Juanette? I don't know if Man. the J is like a... Well, Jean-Pierre is definitely Jean, like their John. And that's a je. Jean-Pierre... Juanette. Juanette. Jeanette. 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 That sounds better. Wait, wait a minute. French. What is this feminine voice in my ear right now? <gasps> oh, Trevor? oh, someone snuck into the room here while we Uh-oh. were recording. Security. <laughs> Film wall security. No, we got our uh, longtime editor, Grace, with us. Grace yep. Fawcett. Hello, it's me. Grace is also my partner. Um, partner sounds very official. Yep, that's what partner. we're all about here at the Film Hall. Is this is my partner. rigid bureaucracy <laughs> and political correctness. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so yeah, she's here with us because she's our resident uh, feminist. We're both feminists too, but she's like ec- <laughs> like extra feminist, right? Sure. Yeah. yeah. You should be just as feminist as I am, though. Yeah. <laughs> I'm hope I'm hoping that one of us, like probably you, Grace, because you suggested this movie, has like a better grasp on what it even is uh i'll try did you put this on the list grace i did yeah is that the origin mm-hmm. yep i think i like started watching this movie once in college and but i think on that particular night it was like a oliver dormitory and and i i think it was gabe that probably put it on and I think I fell asleep like immediately and then woke up like a very clean, like fell asleep, like when the first five minutes and woke up at the end when somebody, I think like kicked me. <laughs> I think it was nice. probably Derek. Who's and Derek? I was like... Oh, is he the stocky roommate? Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. And, and so at the moment I'm like, I'll just catch it some other time. Mm-hmm. It looks good. It and, was... and you did. You caught yeah, it another time. Yeah, Here finally we... did. I watched this movie once in uh, college, like for school, like in class. And that little uh, thing in the pre-show, it's called like The Look of Amelie, and it's like this special features thing on the DVD that talks about the process of storyboarding the whole thing, Uh how the Jean-Pierre guy is like really all about like like pre-visuals and like getting everything like nailed down like ahead of time. Yeah. So there's no wasted space or wasted like frame in this movie. Um, so I saw it. Prob. I don't know what for class. For what class? I'm gonna guess it was for like film aesthetics, because this everything you look up about this movie, it's all about like the visual nature of it. Uh-huh. So I'm I'm guessing this is like a case study in like f- film aesthetics. Mm-hmm. Uh, that being said, I don't remember a lot about it. Like prior to our screening last night. Like, I just remember it. I think it's it's sort of the same thing I walked away with this time, which is that it's very dense and very French. <laughs> very French. Yeah. yeah. We can good. tease that apart in a little bit. Yeah. What about you, Grace? Do you have, do you have an Amelie origin story? Have you seen it before? Yeah. I watched it 
sometime when I was in high school, I went through like this phase of when I would only watch movies alone in my bedroom on my laptop that the school had given me. So like an old Chromebook. Ah. Um, and so that's when I first watched this movie. And the only reason I first watched it was because it was on a list of like top 100 movies you should watch. That's what and I used to do all the time. <laughs> I, yeah. And I liked her haircut. So I was like, okay, let's go with this one. And it turned out to be like a much more charming movie than I bargained for, but I loved it. Mm-hmm. Nice. So we've all had some experience with this movie. Mm-hmm. So uh, maybe one of us really, like, maybe just give a summation. We don't need to talk about the plot in great detail, I think, but mm-hmm. maybe, like, just if you could summarize this movie in a sentence. Okay. So Amelie is about a social recluse who has found a new inkling for making people happy. And that's what this movie's about. Semicolon, after years and years of being like an evil, conniving, like (laughs) doing weird pranks on people. She's like, I can use these tools for good. Yeah. And it's it's very extraordinary. It's not like I'll hold a door open for a stranger. She goes through great lengths to do nice things for people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So maybe that's kind of... I'm going to come at this movie with um, a lot of like misunderstanding. So I need you guys to help me out. Okay. There's just going to be things I have questions about that I that I just didn't understand like while watching the movie. And I... I need someone to help fill in the narrative for me because I haven't had time to just rewatch it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you want to quickly? I just I finished rewatching like the first half of the movie, which was like the part that confused me the most. Do you want to kind of like run through the plot quickly to make sure we understand? Yeah, sure. What I think happened? your I think your notes like probably provide like a good. Yeah. No. I mean, so just we'll all just read here silently through the notes. <laughs> so I'm not gonna cut any of it out. This is in your guys' court. One of you two. What? Uh, Go running. Okay, so. Walking through this plot. Okay. I'm taking this. So, starts out, Amelie's a kid, and Mm -hmm. it gives you a little bit of detail about her parents. Her dad is not a warm person, and she desperately wants him to be. Her mom's a doc, or her mom's a, a teacher. But her mom passes away in a like freak accident where someone was committing suicide and also accidentally killed her. Yeah. And that 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 scene sort of like implies that it's gonna be more significant to the movie than it actually is. Like it it's feels just, yeah. like it's gonna circle around somehow and it never does. <laughs> Have either of you seen Magnolia before? No. No. Paul Thomas Anderson's. There's like a scene in that movie like where they uh, tell the story of somebody that tried to commit suicide. They jump off a build, like the guy jumps out of a building, and as he's falling, he passes a window where somebody just happens to be unloading a shotgun accidentally. Oh! <laughs> and he is shot as he's falling, and then I think like the cause of death was, and then he like falls into a net. <laughs> so he wouldn't have died if everything went normally, but because he got shot. Oh. Uh... 
how ironic that is it's ironic. one of those movies like where the theme yeah. is like uh what do you call them coincidences like there's like deeper meaning to it that's kind of like the everything happens for a reason yeah that's a, that's the theme of that pth movie yeah mm-hmm. uh I, w- I think that her, like, the description of her parents, you, like, kind of wrote down their, like, likes and dislikes in their in your notes here. Mm-hmm. And it was fun to, like, compare and contrast, like, the two of them and see, like, what the differences were or what the mm-hmm. overlaps were and how that translates into Amelie's character, mm-hmm. if at all. Um, it's, it's tough because I... I can't really put my finger on like how like different of a flavor like each of the parents are as far as characters. Mm-hmm. Like they seem sufficiently, I don't know, different, but they're not like polar opposites. And I felt like. Yeah, I think that. I think like the part where they say that they both enjoy kind of like um, taking something apart and cleaning it and putting it back together uh-huh. kind of tells you like they both kind of have this. Um, what you call it, a kind of like neat freak sort of compulsive tendency. Mm-hmm. Sure. I Attention uh, to detail, maybe. Yeah, maybe. If you want to take it super deep, you could say that like their tendency to like take disorder and create order, that that's like what Amelie mm-hmm. is like attempting to do with her do-gooderness. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a good like outlook for her whole life like her life is very organized um she doesn't have a lot of mess going on at all she i don't know she just seems like she really has her stuff together despite not really having what a lot of people would consider like a full life Mm -hmm. and then so yeah just to continue from the story any anything to take away from like the parents um i guess we can like set up like the thing about the father getting sort of closed in and unsociable after his wife dies Mm -hmm. yeah and she's like his caretaker sort of like his main point of contact to the human world she works in a diner it goes into a a fair amount of detail about her coworkers. right right they're a pretty decent piece of the story and then she frequents this market and right that plays a piece in the story as well and then i guess the rest of the movie gets really kicked off by this by princess diana's death yes yeah that's when the narrator says like and then that's when her life will be changed forever yeah so what happens is she's holding a lid to something like a heavy lid and she drops it out of shock learning that princess diana died and it rolls into her bathroom and knocks a tile loose and then behind that tile, she finds this box that a child had stowed away years before. Mm-hmm. And they just have like some childhood knickknacks and memories, some like old photos. Mm-hmm. And then it's at about this like moment, the... oh, go ahead. I was just gonna just gonna say like what it was. It's like a picture of like somebody from the Tour de France, and then like a little figurine, and then there's like some marbles, maybe. Um be all tied to like specific memories that the movie like elaborates on later mm-hmm. of someone else not amelie of uh the, this mystery boy the who child left who left it behind yeah right and this basically like 
I would call this chunk, this is like a good 30 minute chunk of like the odyssey of trying to reunite uh, this child with his past belongings. Right. It's kind of the tagline of this movie is like she her life has changed and she like sets out to do good deeds for other people. Right. Uh, but the first version of that, which is like this returning this box to this man, uh, that takes like disproportionately a lot longer mm-hmm. than all uh-huh. the yeah. others. Um, Stacy thought like, that that was what the movie was going to be about. She was like, "Oh, this audit, this is going to be the rest of like the hour and a half mm-hmm. we have left." Nope. Yeah. And it's like it's it's in this like weird duration where it's like longer than the rest of the uh, the Odysseys, mm-hmm. but it is um, not the entire movie by a long shot. Mm-hmm. It's also yeah. something that, like, I got thrown off by um, knowing that this movie was, like, categorized, like, at least on, if you Google it, it says, like, romantic comedy or, like, yeah. romantic mystery or something like that. Yeah. And so I was just, I had a hard time kind of, like, grasping, like, what plot points are the ones that I'm supposed to attach myself to. Yeah. It's definitely not your traditional rom-com. Right, well, right. Well, it's, it's, uh, it's not, like, as much of a genre film, I think, as like no, the internet no. would want it to be. Mm-hmm. That's like, what I was thinking. Just even labeling categories. it is a disservice. Yeah. Yeah. Doesn't really seem to fit. I think a lot of articles that I was reading about it categorized it in like the comedy genre, which even then doesn't seem right. Like it's not like it's funny, but it's not like a funny movie. Well, it's just the idea of like this movie fits into these very like defined uh, categories that we have for movies and right it's you just like can't do that with some movies mm-hmm. which we've watched some of those here it's just it's its own thing yeah. maybe like foreign films more so because like they're not coming from like an american filmmaking yeah. tradition yeah that's definitely definitely probably i've always probably found <laughs> i've always found that really strange like at the at the oscars when they're like best foreign movie it's just like it's encompassing like all movies that just aren't american yeah it seems kind of like (laughs) bullshit like why don't you don't you think that they could i don't know don't they deserve more categories than that nominate them somewhere else too and like there's no rule at the oscars that say it can't be nominated for another award as well but i don't feel like they're as heavily considered as they should be Mm -hmm. but anyway so back to the to the plot um so there's that segment of the movie kind of like her uh deciding to be a person, a bringer of good unto the world. She just then decides to help out her father after, like, watching a weird movie on TV, like, black and white movie that she was in. She, like, I thought that was, like, an imagined thing. Yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. It she looked was... like she put herself into a movie where she was, like, fantasizing. It, it looked like it was, like, a self-fantasy. Right. About her being like a nun and helping people, and like she's so beloved for her, uh, for philanthropy, philanthropy, philanthropic stuff. Um, so there's all that, and then there's the stuff that starts with like the eventual love interest. Mm-hmm. Which this is the this is another part that I'm confused by. Like the, the ni- love interest? Yeah, the Nino character who works mm-hmm. at a sex shop. 
Um, it seems like part of the movie he's like built up to be kind of a creep. Am I wrong about this? Well, the photo well, collection didn't... thing is kind of weird. Yeah, he there's when she meets the sex shop uh, manager and they're talking about Nino, the love interest who isn't there. He's like, yeah, he's kind of a weird guy. He like takes pictures of footprints and he'll like record people's like laughs if they're if they're really funny. That's laughs. right. Um and like the whole vibe of that scene is and you know, it's under the the uh the context of she of her discovering that he actually works at a sex shop. Uh-huh. Um so like the whole scene has this like vibe of like what have I gotten myself into? Like with this guy. He's like a total weirdo. Mm-hmm. But, but then he seemed to play that way to her. Like, I think maybe what we were supposed to get is that this guy was just like as quirky as she is. That's sort of what I gathered. I didn't really get like creepy vibes from him. <laughs> What's I, the line there? Like quirky and creepy. Quirky slash creepy. It's like, sure oh, he, take, versus he, take, he takes pictures of people's feet. He's so quirky. Well, <laughs> it, it's a lot of this has to do with the universe that the movie takes place in. Like, if this were any other movie, yeah, that'd be really creepy, but it takes place in the universe of Amelie, and therefore it's passable. Like, as the audience, I was never like, ooh, this guy gives me red flags, so I should be aware of him in the future. It was just like, cool. Like, he's weird. Nice. Yeah, like, movies do things to signal to an audience member that you're not supposed to like somebody, or that there might be something, like, nefarious. Mm Mm-hmm. I didn't really get too much shit from, from no. that character. That other guy, though, that guy that like, keeps hanging out around the, the cafe with the reporter. Yeah. Yes. That guy. He is not someone we're supposed to well, like. That's a similar, that's a similar like weird thing for me. Similar. It's like, the, it's like the inverse of what I was just talking about, where like that guy seems to give off very obvious creepy vibes, but is like, uh, in the movie seems to paint him that way, but yeah. he's like redeemed. Well, I feel like he's painted half as creepy as his actions make him seem to me. Mm-hmm. Right? Yes. Like in real life, they act, like stalking a former girlfriend. I don't even know if they were dating. They just said rejected lover. Mm-hmm. Right. So for all we know, this is just like some incel guy that with rage issues. Right. Yeah. Uh, he's but in the movie, so... they hang out with him and they talk to him. and they even... Right. He's just like a guy at like a regular at the bar. He's he... like annoying. Yeah. He seems more of like an inconvenience than he is like a creep. Right. Right. And then like the tape recorder thing is really strange. It's fucking weird. I wrote uh, one down. That was like, uh, she was like, he was like 12, 15, uh, laughs orgas- orgasmically to attract alpha males. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a real incel thing to say. And then like, he like hooks up with the other like the the cigarette counter lady yeah mm-hmm. and then like that falls apart within that like... doesn't end well yeah i was no, wondering where yeah. they're gonna go with that and they did end up like going to the place like where that guy like once again like became a creep yeah like it, it was not happily ever after so it was just this like weird thing of like in the first part of the movie you see this guy in the in the cafe with the bubble wrap and the tape recorder and you're like this dude is like awful and weird and we don't like this guy as the audience and then like the oh so and so is actually interested in you like subplot arises right and then like Amelie facilitates like a hookup for that mm-hmm. which is part of her do-gooder crusade and so now you're like oh she's like creating a better world like this guy is now 
you know, he's found like a new lease on his romantic life. <laughs> yeah. And, like she right. has a romantic interest. So it all seems good, but then it just falls apart and it it's revealed that he actually is like kind of a scummy guy. Yeah, it goes back to not good very quickly. Does that did... like relate back to any other themes at that point of the movie? Like maybe, you know, at that point Amelie realizes that um she can't go around like just trying to fix other people's lives. She actually has to live her own. Like is that something we can draw from that? She can't go around just playing this like game of living vicariously through the people that she's trying to save. I think it has a lot of similarities to this one scene that she's in with the painter. We haven't talked about him yet, but there's this guy in her apartment complex who's a painter who paints the same painting every single year over and over and over. And he never loses his apartment. But him and Amelie sort of strike up a friendship. And there's this one scene where they're talking about one of the people in the painting that he's painting that he can't seem to get right. And he's talking about her and saying something about how, like, she needs to just, like, take action in her life. Mm -hmm. And Amelie says something about how, like, what if she's just, like, creating a strategy? And he's like, no. Like, strategies aren't going to get you anywhere. Like, she needs to just go and do something. And it's very clear that they're not actually talking about this character. That they're talking about Amelie. But, like, tongue-in-cheek talking about Amelie. And I think that's sort of in line with, like, what... Like, the lesson she's supposed to learn with uh, this, like, failed matchmaking. Because she's... She's dabbling in other people's lives, but she's leaving hers mostly alone. And I think that that's sort of the point in the story where we learn that she needs to take action in her own life. Yeah. Yeah. I think if I had to, like, give an overall thematic arc to the movie, it would be something like that. Like, what we've been discussing about how she thinks that she's a lonely person and that she thinks that she can find uh, satisfaction or fulfillment through all of the philanthropic stuff. Philanthropes. Mm-hmm. Philanthropes, I call them. Philanthropes, that's a good word. <laughs> uh, and then she realizes that, that she can't do that. Um, and then that's like what leads her to kind of be really proactive in like pursuing that uh, sex shop guy. Yeah, it seems like um, the goal is to find meaning like without genuine like human connection to just be this like third party to like emotion in people's like lives and that like that can somehow bring about like uh and some kind of happiness but is it as we all know like people are they're happiest when they're around other people mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and they're pursuing things for themselves mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah so it it's an interesting, like, process of her deciding to actually take this box back to the person who originally found it. Like, you see her in bed, like, laying in bed, like, contemplating it, trying to figure out what she wants to do. And then... At 4 a.m. Yeah. And then she goes on this um, search to even figure out who it was who was living in that apartment that however long ago. And it ends up that she's been looking for the right person the whole time, but the wrong pronunciation 
and she never got like a written name it was just like someone said it to her and then she like remembered it in a mispronounced way and so she was looking for the wrong last name right right and so as soon as they fixed it she like got it right away literally right away yeah i love the old guy the the mr glass man with the brittle bones he just like opens the door and she's like walking by and he's like gordot gordot gordotu gordotu just some subtle difference in pronunciation turns out makes a big difference uh okay we've been talking about a lot about plots and characters but i feel like the the thing that is most obviously striking about this movie and it can be i think it's difficult for us to like really pay attention to and appreciate because as english speakers we're so like stonewalled by the language barrier that we feel the need to like absorb the movie fully narratively and digest it that way Mm -hmm. before we can even like get to the visual component so i think we uh aren't talking about it enough because that's probably like how everyone else talks about it but like what do you guys think of just overall like visual style of this movie i'm gonna let you two film majors over there do the heavy lifting on this part i love it i think it has a very charming look to it i think that the color and all of it is part of what brings the fantasy in is that it never looks like an ordinary like room that you would be in or an ordinary scene it's always heavily stylized and heavily colored um which i very much enjoy i also think that all the props and like the set design behind them is fairly cluttered most of the time like anytime they're in an apartment there's a lot of things in the walls a lot of things going on and i'm not sure if that's like standard of like french culture or if that's just part of this universe and that's sort of where it gets to being like i don't know Mm -hmm. at what point this is like a a specific choice for the movie or just how the culture is i think it's a little bit of both i think that you know, Paris is probably not unlike other, you know, urban cities, mm-hmm. small apartments. People have a lot of stuff. It's it's just like dense in those things. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of old people. Just stuff accumulates over time. Um, I think uh, the, the whole color thing, like it's completely oversaturated. Like it's completely like unrealistic colors. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that helps add to the whole, like, fantastic nature of whatever world this is, like, what we've talked about. Um, if the movie had no dialogue at all, I think you could pick up on, like, from the camera movement and composition and the color alone, you could pick up that this is, like, a really, like, unrealistic world. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's weird, though, is the movie, even when you, like, listen to interviews from the director, you know, his whole thing is he wants to create um like an explosion of color and make this movie feel like uh what's like the word i'm looking for like hyper like hyper realistic maybe where it's just like everything's very exaggerated for color uh hey trevor but huh could you go to time st- you said explosion of color i got a perfect timestamp for you 37 16 <laughs> i know what you're sending me to 
that exact second. 37. 37.16. Uh-huh. The television. No. Explosion. Explosion. <laughs> this is a scene uh, I was going to bring up with its color use. Yes. The lamp. Not like, the lamp. Well, maybe, yeah, yeah, well, that, that whole scene, but just like the red and the green. Yeah. Well, the reason I brought this up in this way is um, this is this scene like looks really interesting, but a lot of the outdoor stuff feels very green. Like, more than any other color feels green. Mm -hmm. Yeah. With the disclaimer that I am, like, partially colorblind, so I can't see everything. But it, the outside stuff definitely feels green to me. And in, like, every, uh, like, class or, like, talk I've been in about, like, what col like, what colors mean what, or, like, how certain colors make a viewer feel, um... Green is always the one that people are like, that's the worst one. Because green is like, it's associated with like fluorescent lights. Or it's like, the opposite you know, of warm. It's like sickly. Uh, it looks dirty or grimy or cheap. Um, and this movie is just like riddled with green. And so like, I, I, I don't know if I'm like just looking at it the wrong way but there seems to be this like weird juxtaposition of the director being like look at this crazy like hyper saturated world that i've created but it's like baby puke green yeah you know i think it's i think it's kind of interesting because you're right like the color green is a color that's not often used and when it is used like it's done very carefully and this is the greenest movie i've ever seen <laughs> and i think that it works in a way that is very unique. I've never seen a movie colored like this with a color that's so unpopular. Like, I think the most common ones are like a lot of movies are like blue or yellow. The Matrix is pretty famously green, but there's a reason for that. Yeah. And I would say even this one is more overtly green than The Matrix is. I think there's more of a mixture of colors in this uh than in the matrix but as far as like uh who has more green in it i don't really know i think this one i'm more so noticed because it the green is what gives it a fantastical feel and i don't think anyone would say that the matrix feels fantastical i think that what Sure it does. I think, the whole world but is I, fantasy. It is fantasy, but I think there's a different type of fantasy. Like, this is more of, like, a fairy tale, like, fun and light and airy, whereas The Matrix is fantasy, but more of a heavy and, like, serious tone. Sci-fi. Yeah, more mm -hmm. sci-fi than anything else. Yeah. And so when I say fantastical, I think – I don't think of Matrix as fantastical. I think of this movie more so – and I think that it's interesting that they're both colored in this, like, rare use of color, but have two totally different, um, like, inferences from that. Sure. So why do you think, like, does this movie work for the green? Does it not work? What, like, because it's difficult for me to, I think, see what the director wants me to see, where he's, like, 
here's this beautiful like floral palette of a world but he shows it to me in this very strange color Mm-hmm. i think it works because the majority of scenes are green but not everything in that scene is green it's just so heavily tinted it's it is. So, like... so how does that work? Like, even if they're not showing a single green thing, like they still like in post editing will do a color filter that just brings yeah. out the green, like you can do with any picture. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Same thing. You were talking about like the color channels, because this is like um, this movie notably was processed digitally for its color. Oh. Uh, nice. So that means that the color in post production is like highly malleable. So yeah, you can tweak channels like individual color channels um i'm sure with a larger budget that gets way more sophisticated than than i am even aware of um somebody in that special feature we watched talked about they used a power window in the market scene oh one of the establishing shots which a power window is basically where you draw a mask around a portion of the frame and you like change the colors in that portion of the frame very dramatically from the rest of it. So uh-huh. you could have like um, a storefront, a wide shot of like, you know, a whole street. And then you have a storefront that has a mask around it that's like at a higher like exposure brightness level and is more Got saturated. Uh, and that's like obviously like nothing reflective of what you would of what you would see in real life. So. The movie's like super stylized like that throughout and because it was done digitally they like really leaned in to the the ability to make that weird hyper realistic stuff so like all the scenes uh where you see her in like a fully red yellow and green room and there's like the one blue lamp that's right there mm-hmm. like almost impossible to achieve like in camera like mm-hmm. that level of difference in the colors uh-huh I'm not really sure why I'm talking this much about it, but I was talking about if the color worked or not. I just think it's an interesting... I think it's one of the most noticeable things about the film, and I think it's what a lot of people like stick on about this film. Mm-hmm. I can't really tell if I like it or not, but it definitely makes the movie different. Mm-hmm. And not just that, like, I the, the thing about the way the movie looks with respect to the color are less to do with this kind of green tinting and more to do with, like, a lot of the, the, the scenes and the way they're framed, like, the meticulously placed, like, blue, and it just contrasts so much with everything around it. So many of the mm-hmm. scenes have just, like, these splashes of color that really come out. Yeah. It's almost like the green tint kind of, like, washes out a lot of the color contrast. Yeah. Well, it's I, pretty... I mean, it definitely does that, right? I mean, if it's if, it's if everything flat. is more green, yeah, flat, yeah, and so and so the maybe that makes the colors pop more in such a way that I that I do like. Yeah, I think it's just the 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 kind of the base palette that they've chosen. I, I'm not a huge right. fan of, um, but yeah, the stuff with the blue is really interesting. I do like. Um, I guess this this is less so like visual style and more so just narrative style, but there's a lot of fourth wall breaks. Mm-hmm. Um people looking right at the camera. Um which I, I I like that a lot. 
it makes the movie feel like it has character the self-awareness uh, which I guess are like the obvious like reasons that you do fourth wall breaks but I don't know there's it feels like the same reason like Wes Anderson does that stuff uh, yeah it feels like just on the nose enough for me to appreciate it did you ever watch Deadpool no I haven't movie full of like fourth wall breaks all yeah, to the end yeah. of um just like a cheap joke uh-huh and so like there's a there's a right way to do it and there's a wrong way to do like a movie heavily saturated with fourth wall breaks mm-hmm. i think this movie does it really well mm-hmm. what's like in terms of composition um does anything stand out to you so what i want to talk about is madeline wells the landlord lady um so she is one of the people that Amelie has decided to help. But I think she's a particularly interesting one because there's nothing about her that seems very desirable of helping. Like she seems like sort of an annoying character who like drew Amelie in and then was just like talking her ear off about things that Amelie didn't ask about or didn't want to know about. And Amelie still was like, okay, like I'm going to do something to like make you happy. What does she do? She writes letters to Madeline pretending to be her dead husband. Uh-huh. Is that what she's Can doing? Can you expand on yeah. that? Because that's part I didn't oh. get to that part of the reviewing. Were the original letters that she intercepted like not as flattering as the one that she um that she made up for her? I don't think they were. I think that they were I or maybe she's just using them for like reference of how he wrote that's sort of what i got from it is that she read all the old letters and then wrote new ones oh but i with his same like style of language well i I think what she did is that she she explicitly took those death husband's letters and cut up the words and reordered them on the page effectively the same thing as just recreating i mean she's using his his handwriting to, to say what she wants to say and then she does that cool trick of she takes these paper fragments, reorders them like a ransom note kind of thing, and then takes that and photocopies yeah. it. And a photocopier that's just like outside somewhere. Yeah. Okay. Side subject, like the use of like photocopying technologies like towards the end of the movie was like pretty interesting with like all the flyers and stuff being put up. But anyway, so mm-hmm. she gives that revised one. And in that one, the husband's like... Um, I don't know. Basically, it makes the wife feel better. Like, Yeah, he's basically saying that, like, he wishes he never left and that he'll be waiting for her and he's going to, like, buy them a house together and he's going to give it. Like, he's hopes that she will let him try it. again. It's I have, like, a mixed feelings about that because it's, like, um, it's nice, but it's also, like, not reflective of who who that person really was so it's like kind of like furthering this person into their already like unhealthy delusion you know and not all of Amelie's uh like actions that she took worked out well so I thought like maybe this would have might have been one that can be looked at questionably and I thought maybe it would have blown up later but they never got back to it like the guy being set up right and it's it's kind of an interesting thing because she 
it's exactly like what you were saying. Like it's it's not clear if this is supposed to be like helpful or not, but it's kind of clear in her intentions. Like she doesn't seem to be doing it maliciously. Like we saw her do a few things maliciously and like trying to hurt people. And so we know what that looks like, but this isn't it, but it's still a questionable move. And so I think that just draws attention to the fact that she doesn't really understand social interactions yet. Like she doesn't understand the impact that this will probably have on this woman or that there are better or different things that she could do to help this woman instead. There's also a lot of parallels to her father, you know, who is somebody else who's lost a loved one and has been unable to move on. Right. And she's also writing letters to him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. Makes too much sense, really. Here's a here's a question that like I'm only now really thinking about, but I think it's um subconsciously like adds to my confusion for this movie where uh Amelie's character is this social recluse and she's all like weird because of it. Like, <laughs> she's all like weird. But like uh, the whole movie is fucking weird. Yes. You know? Yeah. Like every like this is a uh a lot of exaggerated like characters for what they're supposed to be and somehow I'm supposed to I mean we're doing it but I'm just illustrating like why this can be a confusing movie because it's hard to like peel back the layers of like how like what's normal in this universe of like wacky characters mm-hmm. and how to appropriately like separate her from that wackiness yeah. like she's supposed to be an even further wacky character so much so to the point of where we can like make these grand uh correlations between her behavior and like her upbringing and like what that means to be a, a recluse and it's just like everything is weird in the movie so it yeah it seems like it can blend together like her wackiness and mm. the world i think that can mean both that like everyone is weird like you could just take it at like everyone's weird in their own way and like everyone has their stuff and that's a fine way to look at it but i also think it's sort of interesting to think about like sure she's weird she doesn't really do a ton of stuff like overtly in the movie that i'm like that's a weird thing to do and so sometimes i got the feeling that like the other people were weird because they were tainted by their social interactions like the guy, the guy who runs the market is, like, vying for attention all the time and really trying to get people to, like, laugh at his jokes as he makes fun of this other person. And that's how he operates. But, like, Amelie doesn't... You don't see her doing anything like that. And she seems to be pure in this sense, but also, like, not... She doesn't, like, appear super weird. The only thing, like, really weird about her is that she just hangs out at home a lot. What about this? I, I feel like she's really hard to read. Would you agree mm-hmm. with that, Trevor? Yeah. She just doesn't yeah. do a lot of stuff like uh, externally that I that I that I have like a good read on her emotional state at all. Very reserved. Yeah. It feels like kind of sociopathic in some ways. Like 
Like, it seems like a lot of her emotional reactions aren't... Or that she kind of lacks emotion in some ways, except for anger. Yeah. Um, Because at the very beginning, you know, they paint her as this... You know, she goes through all this, like, trauma, but is seemingly kind of unaffected by it Mm -hmm. in any serious way. In the whole movie, she's kind of, like, brushing off, like, different, like, very dramatic events and the only time you really see her emote in any sort of way it's like the show dexter where like he's this very blank person or like everything that he does that feels like emotion seems scripted or fake and the only time that he is uh genuine is when he's like killing somebody and that's very clearly like anger vengeance violence like these primal things the same thing with her when she like sneaks into that guy's apartment and is like fucking shit up or like when she's messing with like the cable on that one guy's house when she's a child uh so yeah yes to answer your question she does seem hard to read and like if you take it a step further it seems like it's like uh sociopathic yeah i think it's like sociopathic like at the level where you kind of like try to analyze the movie literally but i guess like in the world of the movie like you said, like everybody has like a base level of quirkiness going on. Like probably the most normal person in the movie is is the guy who left his box in in Annalie's apartment. He's he's like a normal yeah. guy. But even he he's the kind of person yeah. he he just like is the kind of guy who would walk into a bar and just like start chatting at strangers. Like I wouldn't do that. Yeah. That's the that's, about this serious life event. That's the weirdest part about him. But that's it's not that weird. But everybody's got to have like everybody's got to have some like quirk in order to be in this movie. The guy shows up with his character and he's like, yeah, I'm like my character won all the marbles and I had this very normal childhood. Or like, no, we need something. We need something strange. It's like I could chat up strangers in the bar. Yeah. Oh, do you guys catch do you guys catch how like. When they were reviewing that guy's box, uh, he was like, he was like crushing on his aunt. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like lo- peeping on his aunt, like in the laundry room <laughs> yep. or something. He likes her slip or something like that. It's nasty. Weird things little boys do. Oh, yeah. started. Oogling, <laughs> o- oogling over his over his aunt. What was the piece of evidence in the box left over that formed that memory? I don't know. It's just I remember it from the montage where they show yeah. him looking through that. There's a post it note. It's like, hey, by the way, you used to peep on your aunt when you were seven. <laughs> Keep yeah, what? No. No to sell. It's such an interesting thing to like include about that character. Like, I think that just attests to like how the movie is just like weird. Like, not only is it including this and in- these information about these characters, it's not like. I don't know basic information that you should know it's just like this is a like a weird thing that they did one time when they were like eight years old and I, it's like what I liken it to uh the way that like old people in movies and tv stereotypically like tell stories and how we like make fun of that in movies and tv mm-hmm. where they can't keep a story like on rails and I'm guilty of this too and it'll I'll probably get worse when I get older but like just tangents like form 
that completely like derail yeah. uh the original purpose of a story and so the the movie functions like that too where it's like and you know with older people who are telling these stories that doesn't happen without good reason because they have such a rich memory of people and and happenings that they feel the need to contextualize everything to give someone like the full experience of the story that they're telling i think this movie like appreciates that in the same way where they're like here's this other character that may seem insignificant but here's like a little taste of like their whole like reason for being here Mm -hmm. at this part Mm -hmm. of the story and like deep deep things about who they are like you wouldn't just tell anyone that you like thought your aunt was hot when you were seven right, years right. old like that's it's also that's an intimate detail about it's a not person. like a typical list of facts that you might think would like summarize a person they're not like oh he grew up in sussex when up until seven and he loved his mom and stuff like that it's right it, it seems like something that it, it's like a you you can't make this stuff up kind of moment like it's such like a real sounding event yeah, it's too it's so, specific. It's very specific and, and makes it seem very real. Uh-huh. And so it makes it seem more relatable. You know, like this guy mm-hmm. was has had mm-hmm. a full life. He used to be a weird kid. Mm-hmm. It reminds yeah. me of uh, another instance of this that this reminds me of is, uh, well, for one, the master in the beginning, like where he's like a sort of like sexual deviant kind of guy, like masturbating on the beach. And that's just like an mm-hmm. aspect of his character. And there's another mm-hmm. movie, Squid and the Whale, Noah Bombeck. Yeah, that's been our, on our yeah, list. Yeah, great movie. But one of like the things that happens in that movie, it's about this family that's splitting up. One of the kids is like uh, 10, 11, 12. But at one part of the movie, he's, he starts oh, yeah. getting frustrated and he takes it out by like kind of like masturbating, but like prepubescent masturbation and then rubbing his semen mm. at school. Like, on like the lockers, on lockers and, stuff. and stuff. And you just, like, watch him do it. And, and he's also, like, experimenting with, like, alcohol and stuff like that. And it's just, I don't know what to say about that. But it just makes you feel in an interesting way. It's, like, yeah. very... It's, like, so raw. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. it, it things like that feel like, I don't know, they give, like, a sense of genuine... There's, uh, yeah. there's something like this... Um... This is the last thing I'm going to say because this is just like upsetting material. But like your discretion uh, advised. In the killing of sacred deer, there's like another thing. Um, oh yeah. Hard. You seen yeah. you seen that movie? Uh, where Colin Farrell, I think it's killing of a sacred deer. Yes, this is. What's correct. the other Yathamos movie with Colin Lobster. Farrell? Lobster. It's not that one. Okay. Yeah. Um. So yeah, killing of sacred deer. He's like his son is paralyzed, and he's trying to get him to walk again. Um, and he's getting really mad at him, and he falls on the floor like in the hallway of the hospital or something. And he like leans over and tells him this like very dark like childhood memory oh, yeah. where he like uh he like masturbated his own father or something yeah. like while he was uh-huh. asleep. And he like at the end of it, he's like, I never told anyone that story huh. before. And like the story goes into such like gross detail about it that it's just I have not seen the thing you're talking about in Squid and the Whale, but like I feel like it elicits the same yeah, thing yeah. to me where it's just mm-hmm. like that seems so uh 
like it's upsetting and it's dark but it's not like murder it's like this uh this like deep like sexual like transgression that was like a secret for someone's whole life and doesn't doesn't feel that detached from yeah reality. i think like any male that's like gone through puberty can empathize with like doing weird shit sure during said time period yeah no that's mm-hmm. let's do this next week pre-show idea just a compilation oh, of God. all of <laughs> No. FCC shuts down our channel immediately. Honestly. As they should. It's not even like it doesn't cross into the territory of like obscenity like in the way that porn would be. It would just be like we just hit like too many like upsetting notes like in a row. (laughs) Like structurally. Upsetting sexual notes. People think that it's just like narratively like our like our content can't be handled now. It's not the actual like visual nature of it. Halfway through the pre-show, I'm like, like, sorry, Trevor, I called the police myself. I don't know. Oh my <laughs> god! Over here, please. He swatted me. That's right. That's right. That's that term. Some funny scenes that I wanted to bring up, like from the beginning, opening montage. Uh, the thing about like her thinking that records were made like pancakes like he just like spread the black tar thing and then put a label on top that was i love cool. that mm-hmm. i like how it fits made like crepes i made think crepes made like crepes is that how you make crepes what? by crepe. spreading them like that what's a crepe crepe is a, like a really you don't thin just pour pancake. it like pancakes Oh. No, I think you like. I think that's what that little like spinny like tool yeah. thing that they used. Because you definitely don't use that no. for pancakes. But yeah, that was fun. And then after that, that was cool. What there was a comatose lady like in their building, and she was like, "Oh, she's just getting all her sleep out of the way now, and when she wakes up, she'll be able to stay up day and night." And then, like, the lady, like, wakes up, kind of, like, breaking the fourth wall and, like, talks to the camera. And then Amelie just, like, stands there with, like, a weird smile on her face. (laughs) (laughs) I really liked the part where she's taking pictures of everything after her mother passes Uh away. And then her neighbor tells her that her, like, actually, in the act of taking pictures, she causes accidents. Unbelievable action by that neighbor. I thought maybe yeah. he thought and that that she... was true, but it didn't seem like it. I think it was just malice. No, I think he was messing with her. And then she ends up getting revenge on him by pulling the plug on his TV anytime his soccer team was about to yeah. score a goal. Pretty mild punishment. I'm not Genius. like a sports fan, so I, I maybe I can't relate to how that would feel like. I've been around plenty of sports fans, and it seems like that would be hell for them. So You don't get that, like, emotional payoff of, like, watching your team score if, like, that part cuts out? Imagine, like, uh, we're playing, like, Far Cry, and we, like, go through several instances of uh, having, like, a headshot lineup, and you pull the trigger, and then the game disconnects. And then it reconnects seconds later, but like we tell you that you made. The but shot. I still made the shot. And that, ha- you still oh. made the shot, but it like happened several times in succession. Or what if like you're just like in your room and then you blink for a second or two and then open your eyes again? <laughs> Horrible. 
fucking nightmare. Missed all of it. Yeah, I that was so. funny. I guess so. I guess that explains kind of like how she's able to keep such an upbeat attitude. I'm thinking more of like the comatose lady. She like takes this horrible thing, like this person like incapacitated indefinitely. And she's like, oh yeah, just definitely getting all her sleep out of the way early. And she just seems so content with mm -hmm. herself in that scene. <laughs> it seems like I dare say that she's so cool about everything is because she doesn't understand anything. Yeah. You know? Like it's bliss it's yeah. blissful ignorance. That's a good hypothesis. She seems kind of childlike in the way that she moves about the world too, you know. Like there's that part where she calls somebody about an ad. I couldn't even really connect like what it was for. It's about porn. She was like Well, calling. yeah, that's obviously what like I don't know where the ad came from. Oh. I, I mean is but Got like it. the her reaction to a it obviously being like an ad for some sort of adult thing, whether it be prostitution or porn, she's like uh, really surprised by that. And I would I would imagine that like whatever the ad would ad was would be pretty clear as to what she was. Calling. Well, what it was, so, it was uh, it was it was just that she the guy had lost his photo album and then had put up a sign for somebody to contact him at that number, but it wasn't an mm. ad for the store. I guess he just doesn't have a phone, and so he's like, "I'll just put down my work phone," because it's because it's like oh, the early two thousands. That makes sense. I forget that like, uh, it's interesting how um, modern culture and a lot of like the pillars of it like haven't uh -huh. changed. Like what? Like urban living and automobiles and tvs like those are all kind of normal parts of our lives but like cell phones like totally change the way that people act in a lot of that's lot the of biggest most recent thing We're, that's like super notable right the presence of any kind of cell phone in order to like immediately contact somebody dramatically changes people's behavior in movies from certain yeah movies. I still have a hard time, like, I don't know how it, this is going to evolve in the future, but, like, how to deal with smartphones and movies. A lot of people currently mm -hmm. will just, like, shy away from them and just, like, really not uh, focus on them very much. Even though, like, in, in real yeah. life, there's often quite a lot of attention paid you know, people to their phones. Yeah. It's... I think that that's smart to not pay attention to them because I think that they will be like, they're, you know, like in the movies we've watched with the seventies, they're like the bell bottom pants. It just like bullseyes the movie into, into a very particular yeah, part of time yeah. and kind of makes the movie not less watchable, but like it's harder to take it seriously. And well, with how like quickly new phones are coming out and like updates of phones are coming out, like even in a few years, like your movie will look dated because you have like the, I don't know, the next to newest generation of the phone coming out. Right. Rather than like the newest all the time. I think yeah. when phones like, I guess one of the first smartphones, like, um, you know, block styled phones, like you know what they look like but this basic design like when it went yeah. from like flip phones with a very small low resolution screen to these things 
they like their use in movies like really diminished. Like I'm okay with the flip phone. Yeah. Like I'll take a good flip phone action sequence. Yeah. Motorola Razor. That's what's cool about the Matrix yeah. movies. They're not exactly like flip phones. They're like the uh, spring-loaded like phones where like the mo- the phone just yeah. extends, becomes like a this little thing longer. doesn't do anything. It doesn't <laughs> bend. Nothing pops out. That that is an interesting thing that like uh, for a while like what your phone could mechanically do as far as transforming was like a big selling point because there were like slider phones where you just pushed it up and the keyboard kind of came out from underneath it there are phones where you like it was a screen like the normal phone but if you like slid the screen back there was like a whole keyboard behind it yes uh there were blackberries blackberries uh regular flip phones of all kinds of different like ratios and sizes um my boss just got a flip phone that has like a little window like on the flip part like the part that's closed has like a little window like right there where you can see the screen underneath <laughs> it what that's crazy he yeah i really res- like respect the decision to like downsize that way to try and like live life without a smartphone man well i had the uh, flip phone man almost all the way through college i only got a remember that old flip phone i had no you don't don't. that was my thing dude did you have a razor was that what kind of it might have not been a razor it was motorola though but it was like an old like 2007 phone at one point i'm like maybe i do kind of remember that actually this makes more sense now because the way that you and i have always like talked to each other has been like i think primarily through like alternate forms like other than Uh texting and i think that the reason that was established at least in our relationship was because you couldn't text that well with that other phone right right yeah got it Okay, you want to do, like, final ratings, final thoughts? Yeah. I'm ready to transition. Mm-hmm. Cool. Who's going first? Not it. I'll do it. I can go. Okay. I'll okay. Do it. <laughs> uh, so, in summary, I really enjoyed this movie. Um, it's not like any movie I've ever seen before. Like, it seems like at every point it defies expectations of what I, like, expect the story to unfold like. Um, hodgepodge, I think, Gracie said. It was a good word to describe it. And so it was a really interesting experience just because it was so new to me. Um, other than that, I really enjoyed, like, the color and aesthetics. And I think the movie had, like, a lot of really funny points. And I'm going to have to finish rewatching it again because I think it's the kind of movie that once... You can stop focusing so much on trying to figure out the plot. You can kind of let the more aesthetic aspects of it wash in more effectively. Um, yeah, so for that reason, I will give this movie... There's so many good stuff, too, for this one. And this movie's kind of rife with 
things that fit that uh, fit that category. Okay, I got it. I- I'll give this movie eight point nine um, cushion TVs out of ten. Like the guy with the with the. <laughs> <laughs> like, is he running into his TV often? Like, what's the problem? That character, quick sidebar, reminds me of uh, that one SpongeBob character. You guys know what I'm talking about? He like, uh, he's, <laughs> I forget what his whole deal is, but he's like a con artist and he's like, I was born with paper skin and glass bones. Yeah. yeah. Every, every morning I wake up and I break all the bones That's in right. my body That's right. or something yeah. like that. They're selling chocolate bars. <laughs> yeah. That's what that character reminded me of. Or like, uh, like you said, Mr. Glass. Unbreakable. I like that movie. Okay, next. I really enjoyed this movie. I think that it has a lot of depth for having no, I don't know, clear, like, beginning, middle, end plot synopsis. Um, It has a lot of things going on, but there's no clear, like, direction to the movie, which I think... I really enjoy. I enjoy it when I just get to know characters rather than like experience a huge like overarching theme in their life. Um, and I really enjoy like the little vignettes that it paints about random people that she's encountered in her life. I think that that provide like that's a very interesting aspect of this movie. I also kind of dig the green, so I would give this movie. A 7.5 out of 10 cigarettes. I can't remember the specific brand that they order. That's such a cheap out. (laughs) It's just (laughs) cigarettes. Okay, let's do... The one, like... Like, one of three, like, very stereotypical, (laughs) like, French things in this movie. (laughs) 7.5 voice recorders out of 10. Okay. Tape recorders. Baguettes. Tape recorders. Yeah. <laughs> what what other French things are there? Beret hats. Painting. Little, little mustaches. Yeah. Wine, I guess, of course. Yeah. Macarons. Macaroons. Macaroons. Macarons. Oh. macarons. <laughs> like macaroni and cheese. <laughs> uh that's great. Okay. Seven point five. Yeah. What did you settle on? Not cigarettes. The tape. Tape Tape recorders. Tape recorders. Okay. Uh, I really like this movie. I think it's it's something that you got to be really patient with if you don't speak French. Kind of like what you said, Raul. Because it's honestly, it's just, it's really not an enjoyable thing to watch if you're trying to digest it in a meaningful way. Or if not, really. Like you, I think you kind of need to know what you're getting yourself into because otherwise if you're trying to watch it passively, you're not going to know what's going on and you like won't care about it. It does require a bit of attention, concerted attention. And it'll, right. And it'll just fly over your head for that reason. And if you are paying attention to it for the first time, you're not going to be able to focus on plot and aesthetic at the same time. And so the movie can be very frustrating in that way. But if you are patient, 
I think that this movie can pay off in large ways. I think it is unlike a lot of other movies that I've seen. It's so uh, stylized. Um, it seems like the director had like a very particular vision. And I think that that comes through. So that's always like fun when you see like an auteur like doing their real thing. Um, color's a little weird for me, honest. <laughs> it, it loses some points. And maybe that's just because I'm colorblind. It feels very kind of like early 2000s, like gritty. It does. It reminds um, me of The Matrix so much. It reminds me of like horror movies from that time. Uh, like just kind of like this washed out like grungy green uh but it does like it doesn't lose all the points for doing that because it like really saturates the hell out of other colors but it doesn't necessarily feel like paris like how they talk a lot about this and like the behind the scenes stuff they're like we we just want to show like the completely exaggerated cartoon of paris it doesn't necessarily feel the american like paris is definitely me. yellow tinted yellow Oranges, or maybe like a little kind of vignette style sepia, sepia. tone yeah. Yeah. maybe yeah maybe like a little bit of like the nationality colors sprinkled in there like blue and red but um but yeah yeah like the color aside um like the weird parts of it, I think it's very visually striking. Uh, a lot of cool composed shots, a lot of fourth wall break, breaks in tasteful ways. Uh, the narrative structure, once you can actually follow it, is pretty interesting, although confusing. Uh, so overall, I enjoy this movie. I would recommend it. Uh, just know what you're getting yourself into and just watch it several times. Like, base level, you have to watch it several times in order to get anything out yeah. of it. Yeah, and we did watch Primer here at not... Stonehole. With that movie, you need to watch, like, 17 times to get it. But it, at the very least, you can, like, understand that you're... Like, it's not a... Um, like, a physically demanding movie. This movie is that. Where it's, like, you were... You can't not pay attention for any amount of time. And at least, like, with, uh, like, Primer, like, we all speak English, so we kind of, like, get what's going on. We can, like, use context clues and tone and stuff. But with this movie, it's, like, you're lost. Well, Primer is a movie that you you are meant to devolve into complete confusion by the end. It's, like, the intended effect. This movie is not right. attempting to lose you. It's, it's not expecting an audience that would. Right. It's so a I, side get, I get what you're saying. Of yeah. us being. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know. I feel like I'm harping on this movie a lot, but I really enjoyed it. Um, and I would hope that other people enjoy it. So, for that, I'm going to give this movie 7.5. Uh, Artichokes. Artichokes. That was good. Thanks for listening this week. Our music is by W. Look him up at 
underscore w on instagram that's underscore the word double and two us that's you may be able to spell that trevor you can't play fast and loose with pronunciation of the letters <laughs> um, editing this week done by raul flores wherever you're listening give us a good rating Connect with us at, at @filmholepod on Twitter and Instagram. Thanks again. See, See you next, next week. week. Special thanks to Brady Goodman for hosting the podcast. Special thanks to Grace Fawcett for editing and also joining us joining us this week. You're welcome. Mm-hmm. Uh, special thanks to Justin Wheatley for bailing at the last minute. Ouchie. Shots fired. <laughs> Anyone else this week? Special thanks to Stacy Kim because Stacy, we appreciate you. She really liked the movie. Nice. Yeah, yeah, she's into it. A special thanks to Chris Maddie for showing up once even again. even though he was working yeah shout out <laughs>